you know, everybody asks me like, well, how do I know, how do I go out on my own and be an artist? Like, how do I paint? And it's like, don't ask me. I'm still not doing it. <laughs> you know, it's been a, it's been a gradual thing for me over the course of a decade. I've, I went out on my own 11 years ago, and this is really the first year that I've walked away from a lot of that stuff. Welcome to The Art of Hunting, a podcast that explores the world of wildlife art through the eyes of one of the industry's most talented creators, Ryan Kirby. So whether you're a fellow artist, designer, hunter, or simply someone who appreciates the beauty of the natural world, join us on The Art of Hunting with Ryan Kirby and discover the passion and dedication that drives him. We're talking about my horse, my horse girl energy. Your horse girl energy. <laughs> How many different horses do you work with? I work with all of them. So there's like off the track thoroughbreds there. There's some Arabians. I mean, like when you go out, how many horses are in that stable out there? I think there's eight on that side, four in the middle, another four in the middle, and then eight on the other side. So 16 plus eight. Gotcha. 20-ish. Yeah. 20-some. 24. Yeah. We got ponies. We got thoroughbreds. We got Arabians. (laughs) So Mad Dog works uh, like really on the side and weekends with horses. Yeah. Just for fun. I do. (laughs) You were were a vet tech before. I was. Mm -hmm. So you've always had the animal thing. And, I'm um, like Brooklyn, man. That was how I was as a kid, just yep. like her. Oh, the yep. dogs need me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what I would do. <laughs> I'd do the same thing. <laughs> so are these are these horses that people own and keep out there? Or is it rehab or what? No, they're Rescue. like, no, they're all owned. Um, yeah. So uh, several of them are owned by the barn for okay. the lesson program. So like kids will come out and take lessons okay. on them. I think they have like five or six they use for lessons. Um, the owners own, they own the lesson horses. And then there's like two, three, maybe four that are just their granddaughter's horses. Yeah. Um, that they use for shows and yeah. stuff like that. Cause the granddaughters will, they jump like they're jumpers. Yeah. I think they're called hunters, but yeah, they jump the horses or they'll, couple of them, one of them did a dressage or saddle seat, and then somebody did, hmm. what was the other thing? I don't know. But they're nice. They're cool. The family well, loves me. So <laughs> When I was working for the Turkey Federation, <clears throat> I lived in Aiken for a period of time. And Aiken, South Carolina is a big horse, horse mm-hmm. deal. And they do the jumps. like, And you would see people that would literally do fox hunts. But, I mean, I think it's a, like, released fox yeah <laughs> they're not they're not shooting anything yeah or anything like that yeah they would get dressed up in the whole yeah thing and they would go on a fox hunt with the trumpets and all that kind yeah. of stuff it was pretty wild to see there's one horse that all of us have been trying to work with her there to just kind of because she's just so anxious yeah. she's an arabian she's basically the german shepherd of the horses like they're yeah. super sensitive they're very loyal to their people, but they're so sensitive and anxious and she's just not had, she hasn't had a good life and she was abused. And so we've all been trying to come up with ideas to help her and work with her a little bit to try and get her to be in a better place. Cause she's just, 
she's so anxious, that poor horse, but yeah. I love that horse to death, yeah. but she, but she's very sweet too. It's just the minute you get on her back, she starts Wigs out, huh? freaking out. Not, not dangerously, like she won't buck or rear or anything, but she just gets so worked up and you can hear her. She starts snorting like a dragon and just start sweating profusely like me in there <laughs> like that's what she does and so it's you just gotta have to she's gotta warm up to you yeah so i connect with her a lot <laughs> yeah what uh what are the what are the odds that she turns into a what, what what would you bet happens first you make a bond with the printer or that horse gets rid of all its anxiety and becomes a prime show horse the horse gets rid of all its anxiety <laughs> mad dog had a rough rough uh morning with the printer i was raging at the printer don't start calling her janky ripping on that printer it won't help <laughs> i know i need to breathe and not get so frustrated. But it's different for me when it's a machine versus an actual life. Yeah. When it's like a animal, yeah. I calm down and take a minute and it's fine. <laughs> but if it's robotic or a machine, it's stupid. It doesn't work. How do you it's, know that printer doesn't have feelings and a heart? Because it's a robot. <laughs> it's the, a robot. Well, the, and the funny thing is, so it's a Epson P5000. It looks it looks like a desktop printer. It's just ginormous. It's massive. And it's probably, I don't know, 100 pounds. Yeah. And it prints all of our custom turkey prints. Uh, it's how we proof our, our new prints. It's, mm-hmm. it's more of a proofing printer. <laughs> um, we, right next to it, which is why this is funny, because right next to it, we have a giant a uh, brand new canvas printer that's still crated up in the crate. We haven't touched it. So Mad Dog's a little nervous that we're having issues with the small printer and we yeah. have a, a big old brand new Well, Ryan goes, <laughs> Ryan goes, well, I think you're going to run the printer the whole time. Oh, okay. Yay. We'll get this one figured out. And and part of the part of the issue is you've had me training you on that other printer. So you've had the odds stacked against you. With, with this new printer, we actually have a... a a rep from Epson that will come in and do like training on the whole thing. Yeah. So, so Ryan was like, maybe we can butter him up and help him. He can teach us about this. Other yeah, yeah. One too. Yeah. We make buddies with him. We'll have a cell phone. He'll help us out. Yes. Regardless. Uh, I'll be calling that guy every day. He'd be so <laughs> mad at me. But the other thing is too, I'm getting ready to go on vacation. So yeah. I'm also in, I'm already in vacation mode. <laughs> Don't tell your boss that it's freaking Tuesday. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I leave on Friday, but then I'm like, I have to, I just have to get through these next three days. <laughs> and so Ryan's like, oh yeah, when you come back, that printer will be waiting oh, on yeah. you. <laughs> like, Crank it up. Ready I said, don't call me. Don't text me. Yep. <laughs> I will be on the beach. <laughs> It'll be like the evil uh, furnace on Home Alone. Oh yeah. We're <laughs> just there haunting him. Waiting. Yeah. Well. Well. Art of Hunting Podcast. Uh, welcome for all of you that are listening, and uh, good to have you here. And we are today. We're going to talk about some of my early work and how I transitioned from a full time job into working for myself. Yes, uh, full time. Basically, how this all came to me. <laughs> yep, that's the plan. Um, where do you want to start? Well, you want, you want me to? We all know that you worked at the Turkey Fed. Yeah. And 
you've mentioned you've done some like freelance and design. Mm-hmm. Um, was that just how did that come about? Like, was, were people just reaching out to you, or did were you like putting yourself out there? Yeah. Um, well, that's a good question, and that that is something that I really want to dive into as we get in later. It, it there's a lot of things that I have learned um, over the years, and but to start that story. Um, I graduated with a degree in graphic design and multimedia, and I got a job. I literally answered a classified ad in the back of Turkey Call magazine. <laughs> so classified ads are kind of like, uh, you know, at the, at the end, it's like a buy for buy, sell, trade type thing. Mm-hmm. And they had a quarter page ad. They were looking for a graphic designer. There was a guy named Tavares who was there before me. He had left and I had, I had, um, donated work to the Turkey Federation banquets. So we talked about this a little bit before that the, the local Turkey fed banquets, they wanted their like banquet cover every year and they always wanted art for it. So what I was doing in high school is I would draw like a Turkey scene. I would give them the original art to frame and auction off as a donation to raise money. And then they would run the art on the cover and um, I'd done that for years, and then I would go to the Turkey Federation banquets, and you know, I—that's I, just my life. I loved to turkey hunt, and so I was going to be there regardless. Um, and then when I went to ha- when I went to graduate, I saw that job opening. Well, I actually got letters of recommendation. In addition to my application, I got letters of recommendation from the state chapter of Illinois. So that was kind of a good. Yeah. thing for me to have. It was like, hey, this guy's qualified and he's done a lot of good for the Federation already. Mm-hmm. So that, I think, helped me get the job. Uh, plus, I could draw and I understood the outdoor industry. So that really helped me get in as well because I was a good, good fit for the Turkey Federation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I might not have been a good fit for an agency in Chicago, downtown right. Chicago. <laughs> yeah. you know? um, and uh, so that was a really good fit. And I think the one of the best things that has I've been fortunate with is that I have operated in a very unique niche since day one. Mm-hmm. Like there's not a lot of artists that understand hunting and conservation and w- not only wildlife but the process and act of of hunting. Yeah. And so um like when I was doing work for Field and Stream and Outdoor Life later on which we can get into but one of the editors told me one time, he's like, dude, we work with a lot of artists from New York City because that's where they're based. And he's like, I had to explain to a, an illustrator last week what a hill was, what a hill looked like. The dude had never been out of the city and didn't know what like the terrain feature a hill looked like. And he had to kind of walk him through how to work that into the illustration. And so from in a, in a creative field, you're up against that a lot. There's a lot of artists and designers that just don't really get it. And if you're the boss, if you're the writer, if you're the editor, it can be frustrating to have to explain that to them and kind of hold their hand. And I I was in that niche already. Like you didn't have to explain to me what a compound bow was or send me a picture. I I have one sitting next to me. Right. You know? Um and that really helped me a lot. Um so I I got the job at the Turkey Federation. And eventually, years later, um, I was doing a lot of freelance work, like nights and weekends. I had a Mac and I had a studio set up in my bedroom at in my house, 
And I was doing, I got to the point I was doing so much freelance work that I was making more money and I was enjoying it more than my full-time job. And it was just time for me to go, you know, I've always been like a forward facing, we're going to go. And I was getting, I'm not going to say complacent, but I was, I was ready for a next, the next challenge um, in life. Um, But to more specifically answer your question of how that happened, uh, the Turkey Federation back in those days was kind of like a revolving door. Um, Tammy Sapp was our boss there and she had a knack for spotting talent and she hired, she hired people from all over the country. Um, like really talented people that loved the Turkey Federation and, and wanted to be in the outdoor industry. But we had people from, I'm just going around the country, like Oklahoma, uh, Mississippi, Wisconsin, um, West Virginia, South Carolina, Alabama, um, Louisiana, like I could go on and on. Mm -hmm. Like we had people that literally came from all over the country to work in the communications department and the communications department would have been like, we had a staff of like six graphic designers, um, editors, writers, people producing all the magazines. We were cranking out four magazines a year. Mm. Um, one of them was monthly and then one of a couple of them were like quarterly. So we had a lot going on. And the Turkey Federation was an unbelievable place to work, but it was a nonprofit and they just couldn't pay all that much, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, So what inevitably happened is they would hire us right out of college. And within a year or two, a lot of people were getting scooped up by other companies or Mm -hmm. other agencies or anything like that because, you know, we were young, we were fresh. um, We didn't have ties to the area. So Edgefield, South Carolina is a pretty remote area to work. And like, if you... You know, my buddy Gilbertson, he moves from Wisconsin to Edgefield. He doesn't really have anything tying him to Edgefield. Yeah. So, and that was the case for a lot of us because we came from all over the country. So, uh, people were getting snatched up and then going to work back in their home state or remotely or something like that. And so, I was making all of these connections with writers and editors and people like that. They would get scooped up and go work to another company. And then when they needed illustration work, they'd come back to me because they knew what I was capable of. Mm-hmm. And that is how I started. started. Um, but, you know, I, I had to, I, I had proven myself to them beforehand. Right. And that was key for everything that I did. Um, you know, a lot of people, a lot of times, People that are really good at what they do don't have a resume. Like they just, they earn a reputation, they deliver and that attracts attention and people come and say, Hey, come work for me. Yeah. Um, and you know, everybody has a resume when they start, but then once you get out and you stay in that niche and you deliver for clients and you hit deadlines and stuff, um, I could help them out. So that's how I got started doing all the freelance work. That's cool. It's yeah. It's, my dad always said it's usually all about who you know. So, like, yeah. when making connections like that, definitely. Life is all about that. <laughs> yeah. And I'll add to that. I had a, a, a buddy of mine, Mike. Um, I randomly thought about him this morning. But Mike was an older guy. Um, I was in my 20s, and he might have been pushing 50. And um, he was just a dude that I really admired and respected. And I... It's like you look at them and it's like, when I'm 50, I want my life to look that way. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of a train wreck when I was in my 20s. I just didn't know who I was. I had all the talent and work was easy for me. Mm -hmm. But some of the personal stuff outside of that was not. Mm -hmm. And um, I sat him down one time. I was like, hey, man, would you mind just like 
mentoring me a little bit. Just I'll buy you breakfast mm-hmm. once a once a month, you know, yeah. just sit down and talk. So we started meeting at Waffle House on exit five. <laughs> and like once a month we would go and um we'd sit down for waffles and uh we'd just sit there and talk, you know, and kind of glean off him. And he told me something I'll never forget. He's like, it's not just who you know, but what that person thinks about you mm-hmm. that matters. True. You may know the president, and if he thinks you suck, you're not going to get an office yeah. like your dad. Yeah. You know, like, hey, man, if I know Eddie, I'm in. Well, if Eddie thinks you're a pile of crap and you're worthless at your job, that's <laughs> two steps back. Yeah. That's not an advantage <laughs> yeah. for you. So your your reputation matters a lot, too. And, man, the one thing that designers are known for is being just train wrecks and scatterbrained. Yeah. Can't hit a freaking deadline to save their life. Always living in la-la land. They can't plan. They can't execute. And that's one thing that I really felt like I was good at. And even to this day is I could I could get work done. Mm-hmm. I could stay on track. I could, I could manage myself. I could project manage. And even later in my career, I was project managing for the client. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, if you need the deliverables by this date, we have to work backwards. We got to start tomorrow and yeah. I need these things from you to get that done. Yeah. Um and because I worked in the Turkey Federation in like an editorial setting, I saw the editors. I mm-hmm. saw what they were dealing with. Mm-hmm. And I if there's one, you know, one thing about it is everybody has a deadline. Yeah. Everybody has a boss breathing down their neck. Everybody has problems. And if you can help make their life easier and solve those problems, you're at a huge advantage. Yeah. You combine that with a certain level of creativity and skill and you're unstoppable. Yeah. Because, you know, so I would see these editors and like, I'd see them taking paperwork home at night to edit and hit deadlines and do that. And I saw kind of the pressure that they were under and I just kind of made a mental note to myself. Like, I'm not going to be that guy that's four days late hitting a deadline yeah. and they have to scramble and make their life harder because that's a way to get fired or not hired if you're a freelancer right. real quick. Yeah. So um, that was one of the biggest things is I, I wanted to solve problems and make their life easier, not harder. And um, I feel like that's helped me a lot with the freelance work. Cool. So, so, I was doing some freelance work um, nights and weekends for the Turkey Federation at home um, when I was working at the Turkey Federation. And like I said, eventually it got to the point where, you know, Kim and I were dating. We didn't have any kids. Um, I didn't have any debt except for my house. I'd paid everything else off. And I had enough work lined up uh, through the Archery Trade Association. Um that would last me through the first year. And I thought, I'll figure it out after that. Mm-hmm. Like, that'll get me a year. Um, I can figure it out after that. And that was a very lean year. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that one wasn't bad. It was the next year where I had the whole oh, crap. Yeah, it's what like, now what? <laughs> and um, yeah, so, but the, the ATA we were talking about earlier, the Archer Trade Association, they were one of my first biggest clients Mm -hmm. and I did work for them for years. Um, but I was doing work for their explore bow hunting program. Um, I was doing some print ads and stuff for them, but I was doing work for their educational curriculum that was designed to teach young bow hunters about the sport. Um, 
how to hang a stand, how to build a blind, the parts of a bow. Um, and so I was illustrating the parts, the rest, the knock, the release, all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff for them. And is that for kids or is it for anybody really? It's for anybody really. They 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 geared it uh, probably ages like eight to twelve. Okay, I bet it would probably be their their target age demographic there. Gotcha. So it was pretty basic, and it had some like little science experiment craft things. Like when we mixed the blood for that video the other day, that's where I got the idea. Oh. was an exercise that I laid out for them. But Um, like if I was a 26-year-old girl that wanted to go to it, they'd be like, ah. (laughs) You could learn from it, yeah. but like like the little arts and crafts stuff. Right. (laughs) Like they had little, little experiments that were designed to like, show you how the wind blew things. Oh, that's cool. Like you'd, um, I can't remember what they were, but like light a smoke bomb and watch the way the wind and that's how it blows your scent. Oh. So as a deer hunter, when you're bow hunting, you want to be downwind of the deer because they'll smell you. Right. So you want the wind in your advantage. Well, like they had little crafts that were designed to illustrate that. Oh, well, that's kids. cool. That so sounds really fun. Maybe you would like it. <laughs> it sounds really fun. Okay. The age demographic was 8 to 26. Yeah. Eight, 8 to 28. That was their age demographic. There that sounds go. fun. It was cool, though. Yeah. That sounds really fun, though. <laughs> and and that was all vector-based artwork. So that none of that was really hand-drawn. Um, vector-based work is done in Illustrator, and that's the kind of stuff you see in manuals, Field and Stream and Outdoor Life had a run where they were doing a ton of vector work. Mm. Um, and the advantage of of that is that you can simplify the image into only what you need. Yeah. So the bow might be a clear, very clear grayscale um, image that just shows the riser and the cams and all that kind of stuff and the limbs. And then if you wanted to highlight the release, I can make that release bright orange and outline it more. Mm-hmm. So if you take a photo, you would have all the crap on it, all the detail, all the stuff, and you would have to kind of highlight the release or the rest in a certain way. If I give you an illustration, I can eliminate all the fine detail out of everything yeah. and do a very clear illustration of a rest. So those illustrations really served as like valuable communication tools. Gotcha. Um, so really as an illustrator you are helping communicate an idea and uh and that's what i was really good at is taking kind of vague concepts or a complicated bow or a crossbow or setup and simplifying that to communicate an idea and and that that really helped a lot of those clients out i feel like so while you were doing so you, while you were working for like the turkey fed and doing this freelance work were you also like just painting too on the side. Yeah, yeah. I was Look doing freelance work. I wasn't doing a lot of um, freelance illustration work at yeah. that time because there was only so much I could do. Um, a lot of the stuff that we're talking about for the ATA came after I left. They yeah. were my full first big client afterwards. But yeah, I would I would paint, um, you know, nights and weekends, um, and. That was kind of, I don't know. I didn't really have any goal with it. It yeah. was it was more like I have this ability and I'm not using it. Yeah, just and I gotta do something creative with like it. expression. I had and, no idea what yeah. I was gonna do. Yeah, 
Um, but there were a couple times I remember working all night and then just loading up on coffee and going to work the next day <laughs> and pulling all. You nighters. literally pulling all nighters. No, I wouldn't do that. You can pay me enough to do that right now. No. Oh, I couldn't <laughs> even you know, do that in college. <laughs> in your twenties, sometimes you can do that. Everybody was all they would do that. Side note: Everybody would do that for exam week, pulling all nighters, and I'm like. I got to go to bed. (laughs) I cannot. The latest I would stay up would be like 1 a.m. in the library. And then I would, but I would go back to bed and I would just, because I'd be like, I have to sleep. Yeah. Like I have migraines. I cannot not sleep. (laughs) I can't do that. When I was in college, they had this stuff from GNC called Rip Fuel and it had ephedra in it at the time. And that way it was like a metabolic booster. It was just loaded with stimulants. Mm-hmm. And then a couple kids had high school kids had heart attacks during two days in football in Texas. And so they banned it. Yeah. But that was our go-to is rip fuel with ephedra. You like take a couple of those with a cup of coffee. You can nope. go all night. Not feel I can't anything. even, I, I told you yesterday, I can't even drink <laughs> one cup of coffee anymore. Like yeah. I can't, and all I drink is water after that. I yeah. can't, I, I used to drink y'all listeners probably don't care, but I used to drink two, three cups of coffee in the morning and that's even light for somebody now. Yeah. And I can't, I can only drink one. Yeah. I can have one cup of coffee a day. I couldn't survive on that. Yeah. I just, I feel awful if I drink more than one cup. Mm. Like Sunday, Cole was like, I'll get you a Starbucks. And I was like, oh, thanks. I already had my cup of coffee at home. He's like, I'm still going to get you one. And he did. And I was like, I couldn't (laughs) move. I just felt horrible. But yeah, I just can't. I drank it. Yeah. Because I, I love him so much. <laughs> I just can't. You choked it down for... <laughs> no, it was delish. Oh, this is so good. And then you throw it out. Kind of like uh, <laughs> people that take shots on the golf course. <laughs> you can throw it over your shoulder and not take it and nobody will ever know. I know guys that would like... I don't play golf. <laughs> <laughs> I know guys that were like real competitive and they wanted to win and beat their buddies. So they'd like order a round of shots on the, uh, at the, on the golf course, you know, from the cart girl. And then they would just take it and throw it over their shoulder behind them. Well, uh, everybody's taking the shot so they don't notice. Yeah. Hmm. Well, by like the 12th hole, his buddies are hammered and he's sober and he's, he's winning. winning. <laughs> oh, gosh. Where were we at? I don't know. Vector bow <laughs> illustrations. Vector. Vector. Um, but I, so I, I was painting. Um, it wasn't very good. I, you know, I hadn't painted for five or six years, so I was really rusty. And I was in high school then, so I yeah. wasn't good. Um, but I was doing some of that. But the the segue into me working for myself was uh, freelance work, design mm-hmm. and illustration work. Um, I refer to it as as client work because yeah. you're working for a client. Yeah. Um, and so that is really what paid the bills, honestly, until a couple years ago. So that was the majority of the business's revenue for the first eight years of my career. Yeah. Um, and, you know, everybody asked me, like, well, how do I know, how do I go out on my own and be an artist? Like, how do I paint? And it's like, don't ask me. I'm still not doing it. <laughs> you know, it's been, a, it's been a gradual thing for me over the course of a decade. I, I went out on my own 11 years ago. And this is really the first year that I've walked away from a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Um, so it's played like a really fundamental 
part of of my career and business and honestly I really like it like um it can be very challenging running a business doing that and doing client work because it's not just art and that's what that's what nobody realizes is like you got to know taxes copyright you got to understand your business you got to understand, you know, some of the financial, like re- being able to read a P&L. You've got to understand who your clients are. You've got to, you've got to understand all that and do the creative side. And I tell people all the time, like if, if you're not wired to be able to do all that, do not go into business for yourself. You'll be miserable. Like go work for an agency, go, you know, work for an in-house design group or whatever and, you know, you'll work with some awesome clients and do some cool projects and you don't have to worry about that crap. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize it then, but now there are times when it's like, man, it'd be really nice to just go to work and do design work, yeah. <laughs> you know, and creative stuff. <laughs> you walked in that one day and you were just like, this is a whole new animal. It is. I just, and you just looked at me like that and I was like, oh no. I was like, how can I help you? What can I do? And you're like, well, you can't do anything. I have to do it all. And you like walked off. I was like, okay, I'm here. Well, and and we're right now we're in a whole new new animal from that. Yeah. So um, you know, it's a different ball game being a designer and illustrator like in a sort of an agency atmosphere. Then going and working for yourself is a different animal. And then running a business with like product and employees is a different animal from that. Mm-hmm. So we've kind of hit like the next iteration of the business. And, you know, I, I saw a quote on Instagram the other day that was like, um, you're not really doing it right unless you are up at night with your head in your hands and have no clue what you're doing. Yeah. How you're going to figure it out. And it's yeah. like, oh, maybe we're in the perfect position. Okay, great. <laughs> I'm doing it then. <laughs> Because every day I show up here and I like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. Yes. And we're figuring this out as we go. Yes. And like, oh man. Um, but there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of rewards to it. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, it's more satisfying for me. Um, you can do more good work. You can potentially make more money. You can lose more money. Like that's a risk. <laughs> yeah. But, um, I don't know. I, I, at this point I can't imagine it really. Yeah. Um, and I've I've never really had a backup plan. It's like I could go back to old old clients and pick up design work, no problem. Yeah. But man, I've just always looked forward. I've never had a backup plan. Yeah. At all. Um It's like you say, you gotta be a shark. Be a shark. Go straight. Gotta yep. keep moving. Yep. To make progress. I talked about that in a um, a talk at ASU. And, you know, you go to the, the the fish tank and bass pro shops and the bluegill and the bass, they can all float, kind of suspend in one place. But sharks are unique in that they have to have moving water to provide oxygen for their gills. They mm-hmm. can't breathe if they're not moving. Yeah. And that's why you always see sharks moving. They can't sit in one spot. And um, that's how I've operated. That doesn't mean you can't move left or right or go in circles a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but... You have to keep moving forward. You can't just sit back and wait. Yeah. And, you know, to your point about the painting earlier, I would paint when when I wasn't busy doing client work. Mm-hmm. So the, in those early days, you know, I was trying to get clients and do new work and take on more. But at that time, I hadn't really gotten in with, 
with the right people. I hadn't really proven myself. I didn't have a reputation yet. And so I would paint when the phone was ringing. Mm-hmm. And that's like a lot of those old YouTube videos uh, when we were living at the lake. Um, that's what I was doing. And and so even when the phone wasn't ringing, I'm like, I'm not just going to sit here. I'm going to go put a full workday in mm-hmm. and I'm going to develop skills elsewhere. And I'm going to do training and tutorials and try to grow my skills. It's not like, well, nobody needs me right now. I'm going to go bow hunting. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's where a lot of people fail and a lot of artists is they just want to they want to sit back and wait on someone else to tell them what to do. And yeah. it's like you're never gonna build a career that way. You have yeah. to keep going regardless of if anybody's paying attention or, you know, paying you or yeah. <laughs> anything. You yeah. gotta keep going. Yeah, and it's like you said in a previous podcast, a lot of this stuff out now, like Sons of Thunder, Turn and Burn, you did Mm -hmm. in that bedroom or in that office at the lake when nobody was talking to you and looking at it. And now, like, Turn and Burn was on the cover of Outdoor Life and Sons of Thunder made all this money for the Turkey Federation. And it's like, see how that paid off later. (laughs) I remember, um, I'm not a crier, you know, like, I I don't know if I've... (laughs) cried in a long time no he just, makes fun of me because i cry <laughs> i don't make fun of you it's unique that we have a woman here in the office that like if she gets mad she cries yeah. I'm like i don't know what to do <laughs> ryan gets so uncomfortable <laughs> like uh uh he's like okay i'm gonna go in my office now <laughs> you and cassie can figure this out <laughs> and you're you don't it's not like you're a puddle of tears on the floor but no like, you get frustrated and you can see like it wells up. It's coming. Little, little tears dripping down your face like, uh. I'm not sobbing. I'm not sobbing at that no, point. No, 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 no. It's not meltdown. <laughs> anyway. But I had gone through, a. this was my second year in business. And so I had completed, so that job for the ATA, it, it was a, it was a, uh, I mean, it was a set project. It was like, I knew there was an end to it. And I had done all this illustration work and it probably took six or eight months. Um, I had done a little bit of work with Winchester at that point. I'd done the long beard XR deal. But at that point, you know, I had expenses that were starting to pile up. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, at one point I'd, I'd paid out like five grain in expenses. Um, and I only made $500 that month, mm. you know, and you're start, you're starting to see the writing on the wall. Like, this will not last forever. Like I gotta, I gotta make my way. I gotta keep going. And that taught me a lot those times right there, because it's like, you just have to keep going. You can't, you can't lose your composure. You can't freak out. And I had painted uh, cupped and committed. And literally I just did that as an experiment. I wanted to learn how to paint with a palette knife. So again, on a day when the phone wasn't ringing, Mm -hmm. I thought, well, I'll just go and, and learn um, learn how to use the palette knife. It was just an experiment. And then I put that image out there and they ended up picking it up in the Turkey Federation's core pack. Mm. And I'm trying to think, I think the contract for that was $18,000 that sticks out in my head. Mm-hmm. But like, I literally was going through a period of time where I was pushing forward but underneath, I was just really unsettled and really nervous and mm-hmm. trying to maintain my composure and keep going. 
but it was like the month after that month where I had all that money going out and very little coming in. And I remember that contract came through Mm -hmm. and I cried. I cried at my desktop. Like literally (laughs) it was like, I don't know. It was like the Shawshank Redemption guy going through a half a mile of crap. And then he gets out on the other side and there's rain and freedom. And it was like, I can survive. I can survive another few months. And the best thing about it was that was going to be paid quarterly. Yeah. So it'd be a little bit more steady income. And so I saw some light at the end of the tunnel there. Yeah. Um, And then that fall I did uh, part of Winchester's catalog. And then the next year I did the whole thing. Then the next year I did all the photography and the layout and illustration. And then from then I was doing all their print advertising and stuff. Wow. That sounds like too that they were like, okay, let's see what he can do with this. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's see what he can do with this and this. Okay. Now let's add this too. (laughs) They were sending me some test projects and you know, it's, None of this is hard. Mm-hmm. Like the, when I when I say like people want to know, oh well, how do you make it as an artist? We deliver. Mm-hmm. You just get results. And so, I mean, first off, you have to be good. You have to be good enough. You have to have a certain level of skill. But then you just have to deliver, mm-hmm. and you have to keep delivering over and over and over yeah. again. And eventually, people start to trust you more. And eventually, mm-hmm. they know, hey, we can go here for this. Hey, we can go here for that. So when I first started, um. I was designing graphics for them for Facebook. Mm. Like I remember designing Facebook covers for them. And that was a, that was a legit <laughs> That's project. That's hilarious. That was that was uh I'm going to be able to pay my bills this month yeah. because I made $300 designing a Facebook cover. Yeah. I mean it was like that. Man when bills start. were only $300 total. <laughs> don't don't get us started uh. on that. <laughs> We'll get political quick. Yeah. But, but, (laughs) but I do the Facebook cover and then they would allow me to do it a little bit more elaborate, um, advertising. Um, and then, then one year they wanted me to lay out part of the catalog. I was going to lay out part and another designer was going to lay out part. And I really put my all into that and then knocking it out of the park. And you could flip through the pages and see which ones I did and which ones they did. Mm-hmm. And so then the next year they came to me and they wanted me to lay out the whole thing mm-hmm. except for one little section. And then the next year they wanted me to do the entire thing by myself and um, and do the photography. So now I had to find a freelance photographer and hire out the photography and I would art direct it. Um, I would tell them what I want, help them set it up. I just didn't have the technical photography skills. Yeah. But I do the photography, do the post-production, put them in the catalog. And within a matter of three or four years, we went from me doing a few test products to they literally would send me all of their ammo for the fall, all their new products in a huge ammo shipment. And I was hiring models. I was art directing photo shoots. I was uh, doing all the post-production. I was helping plan the catalog, the page count and the content mm. and doing the design and the proofing and everything. Wow. And so I, I I built up that level of delivery and trust. But again, I knew I knew how to do that stuff and that procedure because I worked at the Turkey Federation for seven years. I yeah. saw it through. Um, so I saw everything that needed to be done, but I was literally doing the job of like four people. Like yeah. what four people would have done back in the turkey fed days, I was doing by myself. Yeah. And and then you got to hit deadlines and you got to have that stuff done. So 
um, my ability to project manage and get results was the biggest win for me there. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that I was the most creative and talented designer ever. Yeah. Um, I was good enough, but I could also, if we had a a concept we needed illustrated, I didn't have to go find an illustrator. I could do that. Mm -hmm. If we needed something hand drawn, I could do that. If we needed a, a photo, I could either take it myself or art direct it and hire a photographer and do that. So we got to a point where I was literally getting raw product prototypes from companies and doing all of their ad creative for everything. Um, And I've always said that, that my role is to solve problems there. And if, if you can do that for a client, you can win. If that client can literally give you a prototype that's not even finalized and you can handle all of their creative the the logo, the branding, the packaging, the pitch, write some of the marketing copy, the photography, and just deliver it back. Sky's the freaking limit yeah. to what you can do. Um, and the bigger problems you're willing to solve, the more money you can make doing that. Yes. But if you're a pain in the ass to work with, if you can't get results, if you can't hit deadlines, you're making that client's life harder. And they will not pay you yeah. for that. If you can't work a printer. <laughs> We're, that's a different deal. <laughs> I'm not going to blame you for that. But, and I, you know, and artists have the tendency to go real woo-woo and like real. It's almost emotional. Yeah. It's like, you just got to freaking work, man. Yeah. Like, and the, the, the thing is. Your creativity is there to serve the client, mm-hmm. not vice versa. Exactly. Artists want to go crazy, creative. We need to do this. We need to do that. We need and live in the clouds. But if you can't hit a damn deadline, all of that is for nothing. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Like you can have the most creative idea Peace in the ever. world, yeah. but if you can't deliver it, it's literally worthless. Yes. Um, and I feel like. So many artists cannot put themselves in the shoes of the client or the agency or the the editor of where they're working that like it 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 isn't just it's it's not the creative idea that matters it's the execution of that idea that mm-hmm. is everything yeah um and you know the the other, I lost what I was going to tell you <laughs> you were on the the artist being so woo woo and just basically head in the clouds naiveness that's how i oh, would put it the, yeah the not the, the the naiveness yes um and that they just think that everything relies on the creative idea mm-hmm. the creative idea is important but producing that creative idea on time and in the way that they can use is where it's at because the creative to a client and 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 I've learned this because now I hire some creative people and it's like that's awesome if you have that creative idea if you can't make it it's worthless to me mm-hmm. like completely worthless yeah <laughs> less than worthless we need because execution. I wasted time talking to you about it yeah and I, I've had that man I've I've hired you know other designers and other creatives because I've tried to find a way to scale my business too. And it's like, well, if I can hire this person out for so-and-so while I'm doing this, we can do twice as much work together and get more done. But, you know, I'll ask them, Hey, when can this project be done? They'll say, Oh, I'll have it by Thursday, Friday afternoon. I'm hitting them up. Hey man, 
where's this at? Oh, dude, I hadn't done it. It's going to try to get it to you late Sunday night. I was like, bro, the client has a board meeting on Monday. Yeah. And I promised them this. This. And then we're working at freaking midnight on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And, and that, and to me, that'll drive me nuts because I won't hire you again because you make my life harder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could have done this myself. Yeah. In the time that it took you to do it. And now I'm juggling. I'm project managing. Yeah. I'm not doing what I'm happy with. Yeah. And that's a real easy way to get fired with me. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. But. Yeah. But the other thing that I've really learned is that as a designer, you play a role in that with that company. And it, it, if you're a if you're like a dedicated freelancer or you're an in-house uh, designer, or maybe you work for an agency, you play a role within that company. You are not the most important role. You are one of many. And everyone has to do their job to get that done. And I learned that a lot working with Winchester. Um, early in my career, I was kind of selfish and kind of, why can't they get me these prototypes on time? And why can't they do this? And like, I would get frustrated because I was on deadline and I needed certain things from other people mm-hmm. to hit those deadlines. And I would get frustrated. But the more I worked with them, the more I realized like, look, for them to produce a a round of ammo requires engineers. It requires paperwork and like permits and they have to figure out if they can build it. They have to figure out how they're going to ship it and distribute it and market it. And it's like the photo shoot is just one part of like a hundred things that need to happen to sell this ammo. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, dude, if you're getting your panties in a wad because like you have to reschedule a photo shoot, well, Tough cookies, man. Yeah. <laughs> you just got to freaking deal with it. And it took me a while to realize that. And it took me a while. I think it's just some maturity to realize that, look, I am here to bring my creativity to help that client. And I have to help that client with what they need, not what I need. Mm-hmm. It's not about me. And a lot of artists sometimes look at the look at the job or the the, the project as a way to you know, fill their creative needs and, 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 and experiment and do that. And it's like, no dude, you're here to deliver for a client Yeah, and you want to do creative work, but if it, if it isn't what they need, then it's worthless. Yep. <laughs> and, yep. and you know, that it's a hard thing, I think for designers. Sometimes. Yeah. I bet. Sounds like there needs to be a balance. There needs to be a balance. <laughs> There needs to be a balance for sure. Yeah. And it, it is the reason that a lot of creatives that work for an agency or an in-house department, they have like managers. Mm-hmm. Like they're literally left in a creative cubicle corner dark room with a Mac to do their thing. And then other people put the things in the right boxes and plan and schedule for them because a lot of it, it it's a it's a right brain left brain thing that that isn't always possible hey for people. that's me and that's fine <laughs> you know yeah you're the handler i'm the handler you're supposed to be my handler <laughs> you're in your dark office with your macbook yep. light on and i'm over here talking to everybody else <laughs> <laughs> that's what we need yes <laughs> and so you know it it None of it's complicated. It's it to talk about. A lot of it's complicated to execute. Mm-hmm. Like you just have to. Yes, there's always some way. sort of factor too. Yeah, and like something random always happens. Always. <laughs> it doesn't matter what it is. And 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 a part of that is we're pushing really hard 
and we're, we're innovating, we're doing new products, we're doing, when you're pushing that hard, things are going to break. Things are going to happen. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like a NASCAR. Like, they got to rebuild those suckers every week. Yep. You could be like Ryan Blaney and lose a, something in his engine. Yeah. He was running first and then ended up 30th because <laughs> something fell off his engine. Our, it was bad. It's kind of your morning, isn't it? Yeah, it was bad. But if you want to be steady, Eddie, and you just want to putter around and do the same thing every day and run 40 miles an hour, that engine will last you a long time. But if yeah. you're going to be a NASCAR, you're going to blow an engine. Yeah. And a lot of that is what it is. We have a lot of new stuff, podcasts, videos, new products, new stuff, mm-hmm. new, 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 new printer. and New people. New people. And it's just going to come with it. Yes. So. Hey. It's good, though. <laughs> But I look back, I have a lot of fond memories of that, of of those years. Um, one of my favorite ones was doing like um, the anatomy illustrations. Like I would, before we had our own anatomy stuff, I would do vector artwork for the ATA. Mm-hmm. And what they would do is they'd like show the elk and then peel the hide off and show the bones and then peel the bones off and show oh, the Oh, that's animal. neat. And um, it would help young hunters learn like where to aim and. Stuff like that. That's cool. Yeah. Well, yeah, and you talked about how you thought about doing the illustrations for, like, human anatomy, too. Yeah. You talked about that in another podcast. I think that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> that's I was going to do medical illustration. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Because <laughs> I've never thought about that part. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, thinking about... And every time I look at the anatomy print, I'm like, look at the drawing of this. Like, that's crazy yeah. that you drew that so, like correctly every vertebrae <laughs> yeah, that's a lot watching you draw these antlers is interesting too yeah. that's really cool too yep but yeah we've got it kind of worked out to where madison has the scanner out here at her desk and i'll go do the art and then drop it off like yep. every now Just and then laid on top like a santa present when you get to work in yeah the morning i'm like oh look at this this is cool oh that's <laughs> neat too that's neat too we got some new sketches coming for Sketch Drop soon, yep. so keep your ears and eyes peeled on those. And um, if you're listening to the the podcast, check out our YouTube videos too, because what we're doing after these podcasts is doing some quick video recap with B roll and overlays, and we'll post a lot of this, a lot of this art, a lot of yeah, these sketches. This will show. This will give you more of a visual idea of what Ryan's talking about. Mm-hmm. It's cool. Yep. Well, that was you got a good anything one. else? No, we went a long a time. One. Did we? Yeah, like an hour and 20 minutes or Dang. 15. Dang. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you being here if you've listened this long. <laughs> <laughs> we derailed a little bit, but it's okay. <laughs> so thank you guys for joining us on the Art of Hunting podcast and check us out next week for an all new episode with, I believe, uh, CJ Davis from yes. Montana Decoy. Sounds fun. Yep. All right. See ya. Thanks.